What's happening? Welcome into the Matt Bernier Show, part of the In The Money Media Network. My name is Matt Bernier. You can follow me on Twitter at Bernier underscore Matt. This is episode seven of the revamped Matt Bernier Show for Monday, March the 23rd, 2020. Again, strange times with everything going on with cancellations, postponements, coronavirus is everywhere. Things seem to be getting worse before they're going to get better. Hopefully that trend doesn't continue, but unfortunately it sounds like that's very likely the scenario. Uh, racing continues on for now in some jurisdictions. So we'll go over some of the races down in New Orleans from this past weekend at the fairgrounds, the Louisiana Derby, the fairgrounds Oaks. I'll briefly touch on the Muniz Classic along with the New Orleans Classic. Uh, then follow that up with, you know, it's three-year-old season and everyone's sort of familiar with the, the more common names. And with this year being a little bit of an anomaly with the Derby being run in September, sounds like the Preakness will be run in September. The Belmont's still TBD. Maybe they run it early in June or maybe they choose to push that back. However you want to chop it up, these races and these three-year-olds are going to kind of take a different approach this year. So while we're familiar with a number of the horses that have run in the theoretical Derby preps leading into the first Saturday in May, but well, what about some of the horses that maybe are a little bit under the radar? Maybe some of you are unfamiliar with, have missed some of these early runs from these horses that typically would not be running in the Kentucky Derby run the first Saturday in May. But now that it is pushed to the first Saturday in September, maybe some of these names will pop up over the next handful of months and will sort of emerge as legitimate horses that could run in the Kentucky Derby this year. So let's just call it some under the radar three-year-olds. As far as the males are concerned, next week I'll probably look at the females. But for this week, the males, maybe some names that you don't know right now. Maybe you want to just throw in some sort of a stable male or some sort of a watch list for when they do show up wherever that may be next. Uh, however you listen to this thing, thank you for doing so. You have obviously YouTube where many of you watch along. Uh, you have the inthemoneypodcast.com website where you can find the audio-only version of this. And for those of you that are audio only. You can also find it in Apple Podcasts and anywhere else that you listen to your podcast. However you take it in though, thank you for doing so. And again, you can follow me on Twitter at Bernie or underscore Matt with any questions, comments, concerns, anything in between. Uh, let's dive right into it. We'll start with the Louisiana Derby. Uh, really, I don't think it was a, a stunning result. Wells Bayou, I, I knew the eight to one morning line was just a pipe dream. And I said that in the tweets that I put out. And by the way, following the under-the-radar three-year-olds will wrap things up. Not much of a Q&A this week because I didn't really get a ton of questions. Had a number of comments here and there. Uh, we will definitely touch on the pick history, which took a little bit of a downturn this past weekend. But um, more importantly with the Q&A, still need those questions now more than ever, especially if some racing jurisdictions continue to sort of close up shop here for the foreseeable future. Uh, I, I have some ideas, definitely, if we need to sort of pull stuff out of the back pocket. But ultimately, if I can get some more interaction with the listeners and the viewers, that would go a long way as far as those Q&A segments are concerned. And just things that maybe you want to hear going forward. For the rest of this week, I'm probably going to be um, thinking outside the box a little bit, maybe going to put out some videos on different things as far as handicapping is concerned, whether it's watching tape, how I go about going through races, things of that nature. So more of that to keep an eye on going forward this week. Uh, but anyway, back to the task at hand, the Louisiana Derby, Wells Bayou, it didn't feel like he was ever going to be eight to one in any scenario. He goes off about three to one and he gets the job done in gate to wire fashion for Brad Cox, Florent Giroux with the mount. I don't know that you really learned anything from this effort here. We know he's good on the lead. It seems like he's considerably better on a fast track than a wet track. You can say that about a lot of horses. 
Um, as far as the nuts and bolts are concerned, a 91 buyer and a 110 raw time form US rating. Uh, I believe that number, if you factor in the red fractions that time form US uh, gave this horse in this race with the pace, I believe it moves up to a 115, but I've said it before, I prefer to look at the raw number and use sort of my own handicapping acumen to determine how much of uh, an advantage or disadvantage I think being close to a pace or uh, whatever the case may be actually hindered or helped a certain individual. So 91 buyer, 110 time form US rating, those numbers seem to check out. Uh, again, about a 20 point differential. If the 20 points is right around there, then the numbers seem to be kind of on par. If one is a little bit higher or lower than the other, then you as the handicapper need to go through, make that kind of determination on your own. I, he's very good on the lead. He's never passed a horse. I'm sure at some point he's going to need to prove that sort of dimension. Uh, it sounds like there's a chance that he runs back in the Arkansas Derby, which I believe now is going to be the first Saturday in September, uh, excuse me, the first Saturday in May down at Oaklawn Park. Uh, they kind of rejiggered their stake schedule for the foreseeable future, given everything that's gone on. So we'll probably see Wells Bayou again sooner than later, which is kind of refreshing. We'll see him uh, in theoretically, what, about five weeks from now, six weeks from now. So uh, this is a talented horse. I don't think anyone's denying that. I just don't know that you really learned anything about him Saturday afternoon down at the fairgrounds. He went out there, he set a legitimate pace, and he finished well at a mile and 316. So if you want to say that he sort of ticked a box on distance not necessarily being an issue, I'm not going to argue with you. You know, I mean, the Preakness is at a mile and 316. We obviously know what the Derby is and the Belmont's at a mile and a half. I don't know that he's a Belmont type, but at the same time with that sort of running style, uh, I've said time and time again that that's actually the sort of running style you want in these longer distance races. It doesn't necessarily matter that you are bred to run all day. If you don't have any kind of tactical ability, you could really be up against it. And a horse like Wells Bayou, you don't have to worry about that being an issue. He has the speed early on. The question is, can he sit off of a target and still run the way that he has when he's been able to get out there and cut out the fractions? The rest of the field, I didn't really see anything that sort of stood out in a major, major way. Um, I know Major Fed rallied from off the pace. I thought that was a fine effort. Um, but he's another one where I kind of look at that and say, you know, as far as other races are concerned, unless the pace completely melts down with a running style like that, you're probably going to be up against it. The horse that I was most interested in coming out of the Louisiana Derby and thinking longer down the road um, was Modernist. And I, I recognize that Modernist, from a number standpoint, he didn't really improve too much here um, in his division of the Risen Star that he won in his most recent start down there in New Orleans. He earned an 84 buyer here and an 85 buyer here on Saturday afternoon. The big thing for me, though, is he was very wide throughout. He was probably five paths rounding the first turn, three, four path down the backside, about four path down the uh, around the far turn, and turning for home in a similar position. He finished evenly. He didn't really put in any kind of a giant bid, but I, I like that, you know, I, I get it. The pace held up for the most part in this race. And you take a look at the top three finishers, Wells Bayou, New York Traffic, Modernist. Uh, half mile into the race, they were first, second, and fourth. At the three-quarter mark, they were first, second, and fourth. And essentially, they, they were all right within one another throughout. To me, that's more an indictment on the rest of the field that no one did any real running, especially if the pace was a little bit more on the swift side. But Modernist carrying as much ground as he did at a mile and three-sixteenths, yes, he was beat by, what, four lengths, call it ballpark, I still think the way that he can run, he can be forwardly placed. He's another one needs to prove that he can really be as effective sitting just off of a, a target. But to me, he just screams Belmont Stakes. I, he feels like the kind of horse to me that will run all day. He'll be able to get out there and he can 24 you to death. 24, 
48, 12 flat, 36 for the I just think he's that kind of horse that can just clip off 24 and two sort of quarter miles. And that's typically a running style that is very advantageous for a race like the Belmont Stakes. If I needed to, I look at these horses and if I needed to pick a horse for a race, it wouldn't be Wells Bayou for, for any of these runs. It's not a knock against him. It certainly wouldn't be New York traffic because I thought, you know, at the end of the day, he was 26 to 1. He was fine in here, but he never really threatened Wells Bayou, and he was in closest attendance throughout. If there's one horse in this race that I want coming out, and there's one race that I have circled for them, it's a horse like Modernist for the Belmont Stakes. A mile and a half, Bill Mott in his corner. I think that's the kind of race that would fit a horse like this to a T. Now, it will be fascinating to see what Naira wants to do. You can keep the Belmont Stakes scheduled for the beginning of June. That's hoping we get back to some sort of normalcy as far as life is concerned, especially from a sporting standpoint. If we can do that by the beginning of June, do you keep that? And is the Belmont the first jewel in the Triple Crown in 2020? Or do they follow suit with everyone else, push it later on into September? The problem is, and this is the thing I think that it, it seems, it's the reason that I didn't want the other two legs, I brought it up on last week's pod. You can find that, obviously, on YouTube in the moneypodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, anywhere you can get them. It's up there. The reason that I didn't want everything to move to September is I think it's going to really destroy the possibility of many of these three-year-olds running in the Breeders' Cup. And and to me, I, I want to see the older the three-year-olds take on the older horses at some point, and it's just by default kind of become Breeders' Cup time that we get to see that. So if you keep the, the, the Belmont at the beginning of June. I would have preferred you see the Preakness July, August-ish, somewhere in that ballpark, and keep the Derby in September. That's fine. You still have plenty of time for those horses getting ready for an instance like the Breeders' Cup Classic. If you move the Belmont to, theoretically, the beginning of October, you're telling me that you're going to have, let's whomever your top three, let's just use Charlatan, okay? And I'm just throwing his name out there because he's the fastest one right now. If Charlatan runs in all three legs of the Triple Crown, I would be absolutely stunned if he came back and ran the Breeders' Cup Classic. You're telling me he's going to run, or any of these three-year-olds, let's say a three-year-old going for the Triple Crown or whatever it may be, you're telling me you're going to get these marquee three-year-olds that are going to go a mile and a quarter the first weekend in September. I would imagine, theoretically, you know, three weeks later, they're going to go a mile and three-sixteenths at Laurel for the Preakness, then three weeks later or whatever the, you know, it's two weeks and three weeks. I get it. I get them all jacked up. And then you're going to run a mile and a half at the beginning of October and four weeks later or three weeks later, depending on when the Belmont would be run, you're going to run a mile and a quarter at Keeneland. It's not going to happen. You're not going to have that. It, it, It absolutely will not happen. So if the Belmont stays where it is, you at least, I think, give the opportunity or the chance for some of these horses that are going to run in the Derby and even if they're going to run in the Preakness, let's say someone's going for a Triple Crown and the Preakness would be the last leg of the Triple Crown, you at least give them an opportunity. You give them six weeks before the Breeders' Cup Classic. But I just, if you move that Belmont out that direction, you, you have essentially wiped out any chance of seeing a potential Triple Crown winner running in a race like the Breeders' Cup Classic. It's just not going to happen. I hate to be the bearer of bad news. I mean, there's bad news everywhere these days, but that's why I don't want the Belmont to move. I'm hopeful that Naira keeps it there. But again, that's also, I don't want to say wishful thinking, but I'm hopeful we can get back to some sort of normalcy by the beginning of June, which, you know, again, I'm not going to go down that road. You can, you know, you get what I'm saying. 
you can find the information on that. I, I'm not the person to be listening to about coronavirus and when things, where things stand. But anyway, long-winded way of saying I think modernist is a prime contender for a race like the Belmont Stakes. Let's shift from the boys to the girls because there was a pretty big performance just one race earlier in the Fairgrounds Oaks. Fairgrounds Oaks, big performance from Bonnie South. She gets the job done rather impressively. 85 buyer speed figure, 106 time form US rating. You know, I had someone ask me uh, during the day on Saturday, what was the knock about Bonnie South? Because uh, I mentioned how I liked Antoinette and um, I responded to that person on Twitter that it wasn't necessarily a knock. It was just, I thought Bonnie South had everything go in her favor in that run at Oakland, that N1X more re- most recently. The pace was wicked that day, and I said she made the last move. It wasn't actually the last move being made, but of the two horses that made the moves into the teeth of the pace and actually were the ones that were around at the end, she dares the devil as well as Bonnie South. Bonnie South definitely was the one to follow she dares the devil. She wasn't the first one to sort of commit to going for home. I thought that was the winning move that day. And I just felt like as the second choice, I didn't really need to to take her in a spot like this because I didn't think the circumstances were going to be the same. I think the pace was going to be as fast. I thought there were some decent horses in here. And yes, as much as I love She Dares the Devil, those of you that have listened and watched uh, to these past episodes know how high I am of that filly by, trained by Brad Cox, as is this one. I just... I, I, I know she had come back and won that run uh, down at Oaklawn. Uh, I believe it was the Honeybee. But I just didn't... I didn't need Bonnie South as the second choice. Well, she wins rather emphatically here. And frankly, you know what? Looking back on it, it was probably a silly statement for me to make because she was the second choice, but she was six to one. Having said that, I still wouldn't have picked her just because I didn't think she was going to get the setup that she, I don't want to say needed, but would have been to her advantage. She didn't get that setup and she still finished like a house of fire. I thought she was awesome here in this spot. The numbers would indicate that she continues to improve. When I look at her, the way that she finished, and that was probably the most impressive piece of this, she finished her come home time, the final sort of stretch of her entirety of her run. So the final, what, let's call it five sixteenths of a mile. She finished in 30.3. When you compare that to Tempers Rising, 31.02, 31.02, Antoinette 31.36, uh, Finite 31.57, and then obviously uh, the fifth and sixth place finishers 33.27, 34.23. I mean, uh, we're talking Bonnie South is finishing four lengths faster than anybody else that's that's running down the lane. She really didn't seem to hit her stride until probably the eighth pole, maybe the quarter pole. I mean, it, it took her a little while to finally get that engine cooking, but when she did, boy, she leveled off and finished really impressively. This runs at a mile and a 16th. I, I look at her, the way that she runs, I think she'll run all day. Now, the running style, definitely going to be a little bit of a concern. You're always going to be at a bit of a disadvantage on dirt, trying to rally from as far out of it as it seems like she does, but I think she'll run all day. I could see the, a race like the Alabama, mile and a quarter up at Saratoga, being right in her wheelhouse, where distance is the great equalizer. You know, At the end of the day, some of these girls, they may be Let's say they're more talented. Let's say they have more tactical ability. But if, if you want no part of the distance, you're, you're you know what out of luck. 
Bonnie South, I don't think that's going to be an issue for her at any point. I feel like the longer, the better for her. And as distances continue to lengthen, I think she'll only improve. So this is a really encouraging effort. And and tip of the cap, kudos to that individual on Twitter who liked the horse and said, what was the knock? It wasn't so much a knock. I just didn't think it was going to work out to her advantage. Didn't matter. She was just much the best. Uh, Tempers rising. I don't really have much to say there. I liked Antoinette coming in as sort of an alternative to Finite. I thought she was unlucky in this spot. I don't know that she would have sort of... I think she would have made it closer. I think she would have finished second. Let's put it that way. And I think she would have possibly at least threatened a horse like Bonnie South, but she was bottled up. She was a little bit keen early on, rounding the first turn, and even down the backside, she was just really, really under a hard hold. And then she finally looked like she was coming to hand and relaxing a bit, but that was when the real running started, and she was just bottled up in behind runners. She never really got a full chance to get going, and by the time she did, Bonnie South already had a full head of steam. Some of these other girls were starting to move. Finite had already got the jump. So I don't think this was a bad effort from Antoinette. Keep in mind, this is also her first start since the beginning of December. I think this is a horse that has some ability here, and I'll be very curious to see where Bill Mott and company go with her. This is a nice homebred for Godolphin. I think she's an interesting prospect. I don't know what her game ultimately will be. She started off on the turf. Her two runs on dirt, this one, as well as that Teppan that was washed off the grass in December at Aqueduct, I thought they were both really solid efforts, and I don't think you got to see her best foot going forward here on Saturday afternoon. She's one I already have put away in a little bit of a stable mail. And as far as Finite is concerned, look, it was a disaster. You, you, you got to hit the board at one to five, and you got to hit the board when it looks like rounding the far turn, you, you're loaded for bear. That when, when the rider asks you, you're going to be able to just scoot away, and she did not do that. This, this was a really, really disappointing performance from a horse that had done a little wrong throughout her career. I suppose you can look at this and say this is a bit of an indictment on that Rachel Alexander, which British Idiom also ran in, and I made it clear that day. I thought British Idiom actually ran quite well. I, I suppose you could draw sort of the easy conclusion that this is a, a, in hindsight, a knock against a horse like British Idiom. I'm not willing to say that. I feel like that was a spot where, again, she was coming off the bench. And for whatever reason, Finite just didn't fire here on Saturday in the Fairgrounds Oaks. She's better than that. Uh, I, I would like to think that the benefit for her and her connections this time right now, you don't have to really, you don't have to really worry too, too much. You can put her away if you want. I mean, the, the Kentucky Oaks is until the first Friday in September, if that's still the goal. There are going to be other opportunities and other races for them to run her in, but the good news is you can kind of take your foot off the gas for a little bit and say, okay, let, let's kind of do the full diagnostic, find out what happened here, and who knows, maybe there is some news out there that I may have missed, but um, that's the, the sort of silver lining in this. Yes, terrible effort from her, but we have time. Don't need to go rushing to you know, any kind of crazy conclusions. She's off the trail. She's this, that, or the other thing. We have time. Time is on our side. And that's going to that's gonna be another one of these sneaky things with the boys and the girls. With the Derby and the Oaks being so far away now, you, you, you've got time to regroup. A, a poor effort in one of these final preps, whether it's for the Oaks or the Derby, not the, not the end of the world now. You've got time to come back, and I'll be curious to see what the point races look like going out throughout the spring and summer. But you, you got time. We can, we can regroup. We don't, we don't need to have this engine cranked up and ready to go for the beginning of May. We, we've got time. So if you are a fan of Finite, don't jump off now. It was a bad effort on Saturday. No two ways around it. But don't jump off because you're going to have time. They can hit the reset button if they need to. Give her a few weeks off. Heck, give her a month or two off if you really need to and you really feel like she needs it. There's, this is going to be a very just, 
odd and intriguing time in 2020 as far as the three-year-olds are concerned because this is going to be a, a prep season unlike any we've ever seen before. So again, if you're a fan of Finite, yeah, terrible effort Saturday. Don't jump off just yet if you're a fan because you've, you've got plenty of time. Time is on your side as opposed to what the, the typical sort of narrative would be where you'd, you'd probably be screwed right now with such a bad effort leading into your your ultimate goal. I'm sure the connections would be a little bit more concerned. Now, maybe you can take your foot off the gas and say, let's see what we've got. But look, Bonnie South looks like she continues to trend the right direction. And I want to look at Antoinette and say, there, there's still something there. I, I don't, don't write her off either. I thought she was a little unlucky. And all things considered, this was a pretty solid return effort. I think she's going to move forward in a big way out of this race. Bit of a quicker assessment of both the New Orleans Classic as well as the Muniz Classic. Let's start with the Muniz Classic because we'll just kind of go reverse chronological order. This was race 10, the second leg of the late pick four down at the fairgrounds on Saturday. Uh, Factor this, you know, you get to a certain point and you have to kind of just tip your cap and say that the horse is damn good. Um, He just continues to, to roll along and he's earning big, big numbers. And, and I get it, you know, uh, the fairgrounds as far as grass is concerned, maybe not typically what you think of when we're thinking bigger picture, long term. You know, you, I think everyone automatically thinks, well, turf, we're looking at Saratoga, Belmont, uh, early season Gulfstream, Santa Anita, Del Mar. You don't, you don't, fairgrounds doesn't come to mind immediately. But last year, Annals of Time, excuse me, Annals of Time, Bricks and Mortar, both Clarevich, both Chad, easy mistake. Uh, Bricks and Mortar ran in that race last year. You know, I'm not suggesting that factor this is going to turn into Bricks and Mortar. But the idea is this this is a this is a good horse. And he keeps running well and he keeps improving and he's doing it well within himself. Now look, there are things that I don't love about the horse. I mean, for the, he was on his left lead for the final eighth of a mile, but he scooted home. And and you look at the numbers, he was cooking with gas out there. 104 buyer speed figure, 128 raw time form US rating. I mean, those are those are major league numbers. He beat some good horses. Now, here are the sort of pieces. Again, I hated that he was on his left lead for the final eighth of a mile. I don't know that you're going to be able to do that in a circumstance or a situation that perhaps, I don't want to say plays more evenly. When I say plays more evenly, the rails were down at the fairgrounds on Saturday. He was glued to the inside. You could just see when you watch the tape, the inside portion where the rail had been up is green as grass, very, very green, as opposed to, let's say, pads, I'm making it up, three, four, five, six, where it was a considerable shade less of green, uh, where they have been running pretty consistently. And again, this is something as sort of just a, a general handicapping piece, when the rails come down speed inside on turf can be very difficult to run down no surprise factor this is able to get out there is down on the inside sets the fractions goes out there and wins emphatically the runner-up who was a big number was down toward the inside throughout so something that maybe you want to factor in to factor this is effort in the muniz but i still i don't want to take a ton away from him i think he had that to his advantage but make no mistake about it this is a horse that wins races he's got top-notch connections and Speed is dangerous. Speed is dangerous, especially on grass. You know, we, I feel like especially in New York. It's one of the things I enjoy watching turf racing in in California. Feels like there's almost always an honest pace. In New York, I can't say the same. In New York, it feels like it's just, 
my goodness, it's 50 second half mile after 51 second half mile after, ooh, 49, we're going fast. Like, there's just very infrequently big pace to run at. With a horse like this, if you can put four lengths on the field and you still have something left in reserve, I mean, that, that that's, a, that's a potent, potent combination. So don't just immediately write off factor this when some of these other races start to roll along where you get more chads that show up. And look, he beat two good chads on the square here. But factor this, this is, he's a sneaky good horse in here. And I, he continues to get discredited. I, he's, he's interesting, I think, going forward. Um, I brought up the two chads. In still regard, he didn't run well. Disappointing effort, no question about it. The other chad I thought ran very well. Uh, I've already put Rock Emperor in a bit of a, a horse watch because, yes, he was down toward the inside for the beginning portions of the race, rounding the, far, the first turn uh, down the backside. But he tried to make his move. Rounding the far turn, he angled out into the clear. Now, again, that was on part of the turf that is definitely a little bit more beat down than the fresh inside was where the rails were sort of up and protecting. He still rallied very, very well down the center of the track, and his come home time, I believe, as I pull it up here on the fly, factor this came home in 11.66 for his final eighth of a mile. A big number, no question about it, especially for a horse that was setting legit fractions throughout. But you take a look at Rock Emperor, his final, let's just look at it this way, from his incremental splits, and I'm going to go from the three-quarter through. At the three-quarter mark, 2325. So he's laying down 23 and 1. That engine's really starting to cook. 2365, 23 and 3. Again, continuing along when you look at some of the other numbers in that time frame, 2409, 2392, uh, 2452, you know, he's certainly the engine is rolling in that final eighth of a mile. If you want to compare it to any of the other horses trying to rally from off of it, Synchrony who essentially came from dead last, he came home in 1130. Rock Emperor came home in 1128. So I think this is a sneaky good effort from Rock Emperor. You're going to look at it on paper and say, well beaten third for Chad. Uh, you know, maybe I thought he was really good when he came over here to the United States and then he just bombed up at Saratoga, but then they put him away for a long time. He comes back here. I think this is going to be an interesting horse to keep an eye on this year for Chad and company. I don't know what his best game is going to be. Maybe it's going to be out at a mile and a quarter, or a mile and a half. Who knows? But And Ch look, Chad is going to put them where he knows they belong. But uh, Rock Emperor, don't sleep on that horse coming out of this race. All eyes on fact of this, don't sleep on Rock Emperor. I thought this was a big effort from him. Uh, as far as the race prior is concerned, the New Orleans Classic, you know, I, I made sort of the bullish statement. And look, it was the only real opinion I was truly right about this weekend because I kind of I ended up taking the price in Sharecropper as opposed to the shorter price in Wells Bayou in the Louisiana Derby. So I can't take credit for Wells Bayou. Uh, I, I just thought by my standards, he was going to bury this field in the New Orleans Classic. And he did just that. I, I just, I thought his return effort was spectacular. He never got out of first gear. And this race, if you didn't like Todd's horse coming in from South Florida, uh, fearless, I, I mean, were you afraid of anyone coming out of that mine shaft? I, I kind of know what those horses are. They're nothing spectacular. By my standards, he was the buzz horse going into the Derby last year. He was awesome in the Louisiana Derby last year. The run prior when he broke his maiden, very, very impressive. There was really nothing to knock about this horse. He goes off at 2-1. to one, He wins by a pole. I shouldn't say a pole. It was only three lengths, but 
it was still a very impressive effort. I loved every piece of it. The numbers all check out as well. A 98 buyer speed figure, a 122 raw time form US rating, but with blue fractions. So I'm sure that's ticked down a little bit. I think this is a major league horse. I really do. I think this is a horse that, you know, you see his pedigree. I see golden sense. I don't know ultimately how far he's going to want to go, but when I watch him run out on the track, he's always been professional. The distance doesn't look like it's any sort of an issue for him. In fact, he actually looks pretty darn good the longer they're going. I mean, if you want to take a look at his final eighth of a mile in a race like this, he finished in 1256. Yes, Captivating Moon finished in a shade over 12, but he came from way out of it. I thought this was a pretty impressive effort from this horse, and I wouldn't be surprised at all if he really stamped himself as a major player as far as the older division is concerned, maybe even thinking Breeders' Cup Classic time. Mile and a quarter, I don't think it's going to be a problem for this horse. He's really nice, very professional. I love everything about him. He has the ability to go to the front. He also can sit just off, as we saw in this race. He went right to the front coming out of the gate and then allowed Silverdust to go up, and he sat kindly. He, he just, I think he's a really true professional racehorse through and through. Wouldn't be surprised at all if we see bigger and better things from By My Standards as this year of 2020 progresses. Keep an eye on him, certainly. As far as the rest of the field is concerned, eh, not really a lot in there. So maybe you want to use that, a little bit of a caveat that he didn't beat a great field. But I, I just think I think he's a quality horse through and through. I'm very, very impressed by By My Standards. Now, let's transition into the three-year-olds. And by the way, I'm curious, your thoughts. Agree, disagree, other horses in these races that I just touched on that maybe you think deserve a little bit more pub. I can touch on them next week. Uh, let me know on Twitter at Bernie or underscore Matt or beneath the video player on YouTube. Uh, let's transition to the sort of under the radar three-year-olds. As I said at the top, these aren't going to be the horses that, they're not going to be the charlatans, the Nadals, the Governor Morris's, the, uh, you name it, the, the big names that people are already familiar with, the Wells Bayous of the world, those types. These are going to be some of the horses that maybe they are recent maiden winners. Maybe they are very lightly raced. They've only run once or twice. Um, who knows what they could be? Are they going to be better going shorter? Are they going to be better going longer? Just some names that maybe you want to stash away, and I'll give you a little bit of a rundown of each one. And I think this will be just an interesting exercise. I'm going to do this with the three-year-old girls next week as well. But for this week, three-year-old boys, maybe a little under the radar that you've missed. Maybe you know all about them. I'm curious what your thoughts are here. Maybe this is just a little bit of a little bit of a preview of what's to come going forward. They may not show up in these final preps, but again, this year's this year's different. This year's different. Don't have to be ready in the next month or two. You can take time, have these horses ready to peak, and who knows? You get some points along the way. You can be ready for the first Saturday in September for the Kentucky Derby. Let's take a look at the few under the radar three-year-old boys. All right, so we'll wrap things up here for episode seven, taking a look at some three-year-olds that maybe they're a little under the radar. And, and these horses, for the most part, I only put together six of them. And if I'm just doing a quick eyeball, they've all run in the past two months um, at some point where wherever they've run, whatever surface they've run on. These are horses I think have some upside. They've run well already. Uh, some of the speed figures are solid. Keep in mind, these are only three-year-old males. And I could have added a million others, it's a bit of a time-consuming exercise, though, and I mean, there's a, a part of me that doesn't want this to end up being a three-hour-long thing, so maybe I do this in different parts, but as I said at the top, I'll do the three-year-old boys this week, three-year-old girls next week. If there's anyone that I missed that you're curious about, let me know beneath the video player on YouTube or on Twitter at Bernie or underscore Matt. 
Let's start off with Mystic Guide. Now, if you were paying attention to the fairgrounds on Saturday, you probably saw this pretty impressive second career start from this horse. This is a Mike Stidham trainee owned and bred by Godolphin. As is usually the case with the Godolphin horses, the pedigree is spectacular. Uh, this one is by Ghost Zapper out of a mare named Musical Note. Uh, music, excuse me, Music Note. Music Note was a grade one winner of the Mother Goose, the grade one coaching club American Oaks, the grade one Gazelle, the grade one Beldame, the grade one Ballerina. She can do a little bit of everything, clearly. The class is there. Uh, music Note was a sibling to a graded stakes winning hurdler. So you've got a little bit of distance and a little bit of turf on that side of things. Music Note was also a sibling to Musical Chimes, who was a grade one winner of the John C. Maybe, obviously on grass. So you've got a little bit of everything on the damn side. You've got Ghost Zapper on top. Those ones can usually do a little bit of anything. Uh, they're okay going longer, okay going shorter. Trained by Mike Stidham, so you know that the horse is in good hands. The most recent run, two turns at the fairgrounds, a mile and a 16th on the main track. That came on March 21st, so again, just a couple days ago. Uh, 84 buyer speed figure in a 105 raw time form US rating. This is a horse that he feels like one that any other year would have been a little bit too late to be considering and thinking derby with a horse like this. Breaking your maiden, what, March 21st, but now with this sort of revamped and changed schedule, this is a horse that all of a sudden can have the connections thinking derby, and let's start plotting out a scenario where we can run in a points race to try to get those points to get into the starting gate for the first Saturday in September. So Mystic Guide, maybe he's one just to keep an eye on. And again, I'm sure most of you saw this horse run very well at the fairgrounds on Saturday, but in case you didn't, he's one you might want to go back and take a look at. Country Grammar is a horse I won't spend a ton of time on because you can go back a few episodes. I spoke about him when I went over the Fountain of Youth that was run down at Gulfstream a few weeks back, trained by Chad Brown. His pedigree, he's by Tonalist out of a forestry mare named Arabian Song, uh, 83 buyer speed figure, 105 time form US rating. That race was at a mile and a 16th, obviously, the Fountain of Youth. Uh, this was his first start in a number of months. He's a little bit green. He ran well. On the straight, not so great on the turns. I think he's, I, I said he feels to me like a Travers type. Like he'd need a little bit of time. This was obviously before all this stuff happened and the Derby was postponed to September. I, I still feel like he's a horse that could do well going longer. But now you have to wonder if connections look at a horse like this and say, well, yeah, initially the plan was maybe we can put him away. Maybe we can let him mature on his own. We can still do all that. But the Kentucky Derby is still in sight. We still have an opportunity. So Country Grammar, again, I won't spend a ton of time on him. You can go back and listen to the pod where I go over the Fountain of Youth to get more of my thoughts on him. Friars Road is an interesting horse out in Southern California, in my opinion. Uh, 87 buyer speed figure, 109 time form US rating. Most recently, finishing second in a maiden race at Santa Anita on March 15th. That race came at a mile. This was this horse's first start since October of his two-year-old campaign. So he's only gone out twice. He's trained by Michael McCarthy. And we know McCarthy can do some big work with some big horses. We saw what he did with CC last weekend. We saw, obviously, we know what he's done with City of Light in the past, winning the Pegasus World Cup a couple of years back. Um, the pedigree of this horse is uh, one that's reminiscent, anyway, of a horse like City of Light. By quality road out of a Giants Causeway mare named My Sugar Bear. As far as the run, most recently on March 15th, uh, rear mid-pack, I'd say, throughout down on the inside, pushed along, finished willingly, solid gallop out. I think the horse will move forward, considering this was the first start off of a lengthy layoff, first start going two turns, taking on solid horses, first route. Now, whenever that second start is, 
probably going to move forward in a big way. I think this horse will break the maiden pretty quickly no matter what. But those numbers, given the lengthy layoff, given the first time going two turns, we'll see what we get. If you do get a forward move, you're probably looking at a low 90 type on the buyer scale. 87 buyer, 109 raw time form US rating for this one in that most recent start. So Friars Road may be a horse that you're again. A little bit unfamiliar with that race came on March 15th, two turns. I thought he looked good. Thought it was a nice starting off point. You expect him to move forward here. Again, with a little bit more experience. Two starts under his belt now, one off the layoff. I think he's one you might want to keep an eye on. Friars Road. Extraordinary. This is a South Florida horse. Goes out for Rudolph Brissett. Um, 85 buyer, 97 time form US rating. So I, I've said it a number of times. There's usually about a 20-point differential between the buyer speed figure scale and the time form US scale. When that 20 points doesn't match up, whether it's narrower or greater, that's when you, the handicapper, need to go through and see, okay, which one of these do I believe is a little bit more accurate than the other one? This is a potentially a pretty substantial difference depending on what figures you use. Because let's say you believe the buyer speed figure, theoretically, the time form US rating should be up into the 105 to 107 range if you want to maintain that 20-point gap. If you believe the time form US figure is correct in this instance, then that buyer speed figure should actually be about 10 points slower down in the 75 range. Um, he broke his maiden very impressively in his second lifetime start at Gulfstream. This was on March 14th, a one-turn mile. He was up, contesting the pace throughout, put away the other pace setter. Now, the, the concern I have is it was a little bit of a merry-go-round, and we're seeing that the speed figures just for those two uh, entities. I don't know about other numbers. Uh, those two don't necessarily jive. So it's a little bit of a head scratcher. Visually, I, I'm leaning more toward the buyer. I thought it was a really nice looking performance. Um, the pedigree is there for this horse by Spitestown out of a mare called 50 Shades of Hay. You may remember 50 Shades of Hay. Uh, all her credentials are a grade two winner of the Ruffian, a winner of the grade two Black Eyed Susan, grade three Iowa Oaks, grade three Santa Isabel. She was a nice filly in her own right. So there's some pedigree there. I like the forward move. I like the way this horse just drew off one very, very nice uh, geared down late. Did it all pretty impressively. I personally, and again, you can make a call one way or the other, and you won't truly know until you start to see the horses come back out of that race and what they're capable of doing. I'm leaning more toward the 85 buyer as opposed to the 97 time form US rating, just based on visuals. I think this is an interesting type, keeping in mind that profile down at Gulfstream Park being forward in a one-turn mile. That's usually the running style it takes to win a race like that. So maybe you want to approach with some caution that's again up to you as the handicapper i'm leaning more toward the 85 buyer i thought the horse looked good the pedigree is there the connections are there extraordinary maybe one again file away in some sort of a stable mail or horse watch or whatever piece of you know whether you use tvg or equibase or daily racing form or whomever it is for your sort of watch list extraordinary maybe he's one you want to throw in how about a horse called pneumatic Pneumatic is trained by Steve Asmussen. He earned an 84 buyer speed figure and a raw 106 time form US rating when he broke his maiden in his career debut at Oaklawn Park on February the 15th. That race was at three quarters of a mile, six furlongs. As far as the run itself was concerned, bobbled early on. Didn't bobble out of the gate. It was almost as if he broke and then a step or two out of the gate is when he bobbled corrected himself it may have actually worked out to his advantage because the pace was actually pretty legitimate early on he was about six seven path down the backside made this big move on the far turn and he stayed on he didn't blow the doors off the field 
But I think it's probably for good reason, because you take a look and see the third place finisher in that race was the next out winner breaking the maiden with an 80 buyer. So clearly there was about three horses separated by, let's call it uh, two lengths ballpark. If the third place finisher has already returned to earn an 80 buyer, breaking the maiden, pairing up, by the way, the 80 that that horse earned in this race against Pneumatic, the figure seems to be legitimate. Buyers and time forms seem to check out. Uh, pedigree is there. This is a nice one by Uncle Mo out of a tappet mare named Teardrop. Teardrop is a sibling to the grade one winner Pyro, grade three winner War Echo, and a stakes winner in Longview Drive who would run all day if you gave him the chance to. Um, I think this is a, I'll be fascinated to see from a sort of tactical standpoint, do you, do they keep him going shorter? Do you try to stretch him out now? And then if it doesn't work, you'd always turn him back. Uh, you see the pedigree in the, the names that I just rattled off. I mean, get a little bit of anything out of that. I'll be very interested to see what they continue on with him and what they choose to do. Um, I thought it was a solid effort all around, but I think you also want to consider for the reason I just laid out, if the third place finisher in that heat came back to break the maiden next out with an 80 buyer. You may also want to consider the second place finisher coming out of that race from February the 15th. That's a horse called Skull Factor. Finished second. He has not returned to race yet. Uh, He's trained by Mac Robertson. I would imagine you'll see him at some point uh, based on what I looked up. Uh, His workout tab seems to be pretty consistent. So I would imagine you're going to see him in a maiden race here pretty quick, whether it's it's going to have to be at Oakland, I believe, with the... uh, things that they have implemented there down at this point. But Skull Factor, if you like Pneumatic and you see that the third place finisher has already returned to win next out, albeit against Maidens, you kind of have to consider a horse like Skull Factor as well that potentially that's one that could break the Maiden in the next start. Pneumatic, though, I would look at that horse and say, sure, you're going to take on winners next time out, but the figures are there, the connections are there, the pedigree is there. I'll be interested to see. Do they try to go out to two turns with him or do they keep him sprinting? And the last one I'll throw out for now, for now, for the time being, I mean, again, we may we may need to be filling podcasts here over the, the upcoming weeks, so we can always revisit these sort of things, these exercises. Uh, Counter-Strike. Counter-Strike is the only turf horse that I'm going to discuss, uh, trained by Brendan Walsh. Career debut came on February the 2nd down at Gulfstream going a two-turn mile. 82 buyer speed figure, 100 time form US rating in the career debut. That's a, those are big numbers. Now, let's talk about the pedigree. Not a ton on the bottom side, but this is a horse by Street Boss out of a Teofilo mare named uh, Instamera. And I don't know if I pronounced Teofilo, Teofilo. You guys probably know better than I do. Uh, it, it's definitely an English pedigree on the bottom. Here's the, the, there's a few things that we can talk about with this horse. There wasn't a ton of passing going on in this race. Uh, you had a first-time starter go out, wire the field. You had Counter-Strike, a first-time starter. I'll talk about the trip. And you also had another first-time starter uh, run relatively well, being forwardly placed. There was a horse that clipped heels, dumped the rider. There were a lot of things going on in the race. The concern I have when I first watch the tape of this, the horse that I'm speaking of, Counter-Strike, looks at the top of the lane to be a 1-9 to nine shot. Like, Leperu could just let him loose, and he's going to win by five. And there's a little bit of contact, you know, at the top of the lane. The two horses bounce off of each other. I don't think it's anything crazy. I thought it was a pretty bad hang job from this horse, from Counter-Strike. I thought he hung pretty, pretty badly. Now, he's inexperienced. I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt. I'm looking at it saying maybe he's going to get blinkers next time out. 
you know, first time start, two turns. There's a lot going against him. Then you look at the form of the race, though. The horse that he, that I say he hung against, that he did not go by, he came back, ran third in a stakes race at Turfway in his next start with an 86 buyer speed figure. The third place finisher, proven strategies, he comes back, breaks his maiden in his next start with a 79 buyer. So the numbers are all checking out. This is, a, I would say, the 82 buyer and the 100 time form US rating. They're on par. They look legitimate. So clearly, this is a horse that has some ability. I'm expecting, you know, you see he's working out. Everything looks good. I expect wherever he shows up next, we're going to get the blinkers added. Well, then I, just to make sure that I'm not missing anything, I go through and take a look. And he's actually in the opener at Gulfstream on Friday afternoon. Race number one at Gulfstream on the 27th. Uh, Counter-Strike is in the opener. And on paper, as far as horses with experience, he is the fastest one. There is no equipment change. He is just going out there for the second time through. Um, he is taking on some top connections in that race. Uh, let me pull it up again real quick. I know Chad has one. Todd has one. Suge has one. Um, you know, this isn't going to be an easy spot. Delacour has one. I believe Mike Maker has one. Clement has one. I mean, this is, this is a, a pretty strong opener on Friday afternoon, going a mile and a 16th on the grass. The rail's scheduled to be out at 36 feet. I have not looked at the, the weather, so who knows what that'll look like. But So he's here. You're going to find out, this horse that I'm speaking of, what he's capable of doing here on Friday afternoon. No equipment change listed as of now. Maybe that'll change, but uh, I'll be very, very curious to see what we get here in his second lifetime start because he really did look like a good horse. I think he is very talented, I thought he hung badly, but I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt because he is such a lightly raced horse, inexperienced. A lot of that can work against him, and he ran against some good horses. So Counter-Strike, he's another one I'm throwing on here. All of these horses are in my own personal watch mail, and Counter-Strike, guess what? We're going to get to see him on Friday afternoon. So uh, definitely some things to keep an eye on. If you have other three-year-old males, I'm only talking about the males right now. I'll talk about the girls next week. If you have any of the three-year-old males that you are interested in, that you think I've overlooked, keeping in mind that I had I actually pared this list down. I had about six other ones that I could have gone over. Uh, Lane Way, Lane's Way uh, is another horse, Southern California horse, could have put on here. Um, but I didn't, for time's sake. If you have any, any other ideas, and you have comments about these horses that I just rattled off, at Bernie or underscore Matt on Twitter, or beneath the video player on the YouTube channel. Let's wrap up this week. Again, no no real Q&A segment. Hopefully, we'll pick that up next week with some more input from the listeners, from the viewers. I'll just go over the pick history. Not a great stretch in this most recent week. Obviously, last week, it was back into the black. Here we are this week, back into the red. Uh, sample size is at 49 overall. So there have been 49 picks put out there, whether it's been TVG or Twitter or anywhere else. Um, I've made it clear that I try not to just... I don't want to pick chalk. That's not... To me, that, that kind of defeats the purpose. It, by the letter of the law, the public picks the favorite and the winner about 35% of the time. So if you just pick the favorite every time, you're probably going to win one out of every three or so. Um, but that's going to be a very difficult proposition to end up having a positive ROI. So I think you need to think outside the box. I think you need to take some chances with some bigger prices. That's how I continue to go about it. Um, the win percentage and the win play show percentage is still lower than what I expect it to be. Um, the win percentage now is down to 16%. The win play show percentage is down to 47%. As I've said in, in prior pods, uh, the win percentage, I expect that to eventually live right around 23, 
somewhere in that ballpark, 22 to 25. 23 seems about the normal for me. Um, and the win play show percentage should be around 55, 56% when it's all said and done. Still a relatively small sample size, but we're starting to kind of accumulate some numbers out of 49. The average off odds on all of these horses, the 49 combined, are 6.68 to 1. So just trying to show that I'm not throwing out all chalk, but I'm also not just taking wild stabs with a bunch of 30 to 1 shots. I have a little bit of everything in here. If I think a horse is a short price and deserves to be it, I'll take a shot there. If I think there's a longer price that could potentially get involved, maybe get a piece of this thing, I'll throw that one out as well. So of the 49 sample size, uh, the average odds on those 49 horses, 6.68 to 1. 16% on the win side of things, a 162 ROI. Currently, you're looking at down 19%. Uh, you would have wagered $98. You would have had $79 returned to you. So certainly down right now, but there's a part of me that looks at it and says, it's still early enough. I'm not ter- I'm not concerned. I know the numbers are going to come back. Uh, and uh, as I've said uh, with some of these other pods, I know my tendencies. I'm very streaky. When I get hot, I can start cranking them off like nothing. When I go cold, I go cold. And I'm, I acknowledge that. I mean, I'm not trying to... to sell anybody false goods here. I think it's just, it is what it is. That's how I roll. Some people are much more consistent than I am. When I get on a roll, I can give you 10, 12 to one shots that are going to fire every time. They don't always win, but they're going to run second or third. I can also have times where I can get a two to one shot beat. So it is what it is. This past week has been one of those tough ones. I think I had at least two instances where I was on the best horse. Circumstances didn't allow them to ultimately get the job done, whether it's via disqualification or whatever the case may be. Uh, But Hey, I mean, that's the name of the game, isn't it? We all have those problems. Uh, Win play show, again, 47%. 158 ROI, that is down 21% overall. Uh, $294 wagered. You would have had $232.50 returned at this point. So again, plenty of time. I'm not worried. It's early on. Only a sample of 49. At least we have something that we can kind of sink our teeth into, though, where we're not in the 10 or 15 sample size point. Uh, I wouldn't really start to look at these numbers as sort of actually finding their their floating point until probably around 100. So I'd say we double the sample size up. That's when I'll start to really draw some conclusions for better or for worse. But um, there you have it. Questions, comments, concerns, you know the drill by now. However you're listening to this thing, thank you for doing so. Please stay safe, wash your hands, do all that stuff that people are talking about. You can follow me on Twitter, at Bernie underscore Matt. You can subscribe to the In The Money YouTube channel. And don't be surprised if this week... My YouTube channel comes back. Uh, you can follow it, Matt Bernier. Uh, please subscribe. Make sure the bell icon is lit up for both channels, my own personal one as well as in the money medias. Uh, that way you get everything. You get it some sort of a little notification when something new has been uploaded. Um, again, on Twitter at Bernier underscore Matt. However you listen, as far as podcasts are concerned, please rate, review, and subscribe. It means a great deal to all of us. You have uh, Apple Podcasts. You have inthemoneypodcast.com. Anywhere you get your podcasts, you know the drill by now you know where to find us. So uh, again, stay safe, be well. Hopefully there's racing that will continue on for the rest of this week. Uh, The plan is for me to do a sort of live stream on Saturday with some folks from America's Best Racing for the Florida Derby. Uh, So we'll see. Hopefully that goes off. I'll also have a little bit of a video out there, a very brief one for the Florida Derby with our friends over at ABR. So looking forward to that. Let's hope everything continues on and everybody kind of uh, abides by the rules. So until Monday, when I am back here with the Matt Bernier Show, this has been episode seven. And again, until that point, best of luck, however you play, whatever you play and wherever you play.